This episode is brought to you by Evermill. Evermill makes the world's most elegant spice rack that features text to refill organic spices in compostable packets, as well as a suite of kitchen products that help you cook so you can focus on sharing meals with the ones you love. This episode is brought to you by Equipped. Equipped is a modern luxury fitness brand that creates stylish, compact, portable, and versatile fitness equipment that will inspire you to move anytime, anywhere, whether you have half a minute or half an hour. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Lee Green, and welcome back to the show. This is episode 134, and today I sat down with Vanessa Dawson, the founder and CEO of Arbor. Safe for people, pets, and the planet, Arbor is a plant wellness company providing gardeners with the safest and most effective products for their indoor and outdoor green spaces. Vanessa and I talk about her childhood growing up as the oldest of three in Vancouver, Canada, her first job working at a bed and breakfast cafe, how she built a thriving community of early stage female tech founders with her company, The Vanetta Project, how she came up with the idea for Arbor and how she secured Walmart as her first big box retail partner shortly after launching the company on Earth Day in April 2021. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to click subscribe, leave us an awesome review, tell your friends, and you can check us out online at stairwaytoceo.com. Hi, Vanessa. How are you doing? Hey, Lee. So good. (laughs) Good. I'm so excited to finally have you on the show and hear your awesome story in building Arbor. I'm so excited. Thanks so much for joining us. Definitely. I'm loving your show. So very excited to be on it. (laughs) Great. Thanks. I mean, we go way back. I was trying to think the other day. I was like, when did we meet? Do you remember? I do. I feel like I had just moved to LA and I think you were like one of the very first people that I met. Because I remember even not even having any friends there yet. And we had, we had like a small birthday party at where the heck were we in Santa Monica? Yeah, we met years ago now, like seven plus years. Yeah, it's so long ago. It's it, yeah, you've been one of my LA friends for a while and you're not here anymore. We miss you. You have to come back. Um, I but, I <laughs> but I, you know, remember when you first talked about Arbor and I remember you being so passionate about it and I'm really so excited for how far you've gotten with the brand and it's beautiful. And I guess before we get to all of that, maybe we can share just a little bit. We can hear from you. What is Arbor? Yeah, definitely. So Arbor is a plant wellness company. We're on a mission to help gardeners take care of their green spaces in a more non-toxic, organic 
and planet-friendly way. So we offer a line of best-in-class products for your indoor plants, your outdoor gardens, your greenhouses, and any kind of anything that uh, a plant parent needs to give their give their garden some love. <laughs> That's awesome. And so where are you from originally? I feel like I already know the answer to this question, but for those who are tuning in, where are you from originally? Yeah, I'm originally from Vancouver, so I'm Canadian and kind of, yeah, got, came down to the U.S., oh my gosh, though, over 15 years ago in New York and then L.A., yeah, potentially making my way back home soon, but uh, it's been an amazing opportunity entrepreneurially to be down here, so I've been loving it. <laughs> awesome. And so w- what kind of kid were you growing up? Like, you know, talk to us about your siblings and your parents. What did they do and what did childhood look like? Yeah, I am the oldest of three and my brothers, I have two younger brothers that are actually twins. So I feel like I was a very um, maternal kind of person growing up due to that. They're they're four years younger than me. So we always had that kind of, um, yeah, older sister, almost second mom vibe in my family with them. And yeah, we grew up in Vancouver, really kind of outdoorsy upbringing, always very much tied to and connected to nature, I think, and in its grounding way. I think that actually is what's brought me full circle into creating products in this category, just being so inspired by the outdoors and everything that, yeah, the the gardens and, and being outdoor gives you. And so... Yeah, that's probably probably what brought me maybe full circle back to this. Wow. And so what did you want to be when you grew up? Like what kind of things were you into as a kid and what was your dream when you were really little? Yeah, I think I've always definitely been someone who just wanted to be kind of in control of their own. Maybe it's the Virgo in me. I needed to be kind of, yeah, in control of my own destiny and allowing myself to build. And it's been hard for me, I think, early even in my career childhood to be like put in boxes where I can't kind of be defining my own growth or my own future. I mean, I started my career working in my my career career working in in banking and it just felt so limiting to me just conceptually how you can't really like bring ideas to the table. You can't make any changes. You can't have any impact in in ways that are, yeah, are creative. And so I think, yeah, not, not knowing the concept of entrepreneurship, I feel like my personality has always been very much like wanting to, wanting to own and control my own destiny in an entrepreneurial way. So I probably have always wanted to be an entrepreneur, not knowing that that was the definition of it. Right. And when you were a kid, did you, it sounds like did you, you didn't have, I guess, any examples of entrepreneurships because you didn't really know what that was. Is that what you're kind of saying? Is like when you were growing up, you didn't know that was enough. Yeah. Well, my mom was a teacher growing up, and my dad has definitely um, started and launched his yeah his own businesses. One of my actually my very first jobs was working for this woman who had started her own small business. It was a a breakfast cafe and like a bed and a, and a bed and breakfast. So kind of this little mini boutique hotel and restaurant concept. And I, at a really young age, actually 
yeah, dove into that initially working, working at the restaurant and in the kitchen, but then kind of managing the whole restaurant side of the business and helping her run the bed and breakfast side. And just really, that was, yeah, that was actually a big exposure to what it's like to kind of build and manage and be very hands-on in the day-to-day and growth of, yeah, of a, of a small business, I, I'd say. I've also actually worked at this a little like a hot dog kind of stand in this in this really cute um, coastal town that, again, was this other woman who had just started and built like an amazing brand and company just based on the, yeah, the, the quality of her little little stand. And so, uh, yeah, I think I've been influenced by, and these women, these amazing like entrepreneurial women, whether they're building small or big businesses, just kind of seeing them take something from the ground up and and create something out of it definitely has been an, an early influence on me and my kind of early jobs in my career too. That's awesome. Do you remember like a specific moment in time where you were like, Ah, entrepreneur. That's that's who I am. That's what I really want to do. I want to be be in control of my own destiny. Do you remember like a pivotal kind of moment? So I yeah worked in banking early in my career, and then um, moved to New York and started working in private equity as my kind of like foray into the city. And I started engaging though with a lot of a startup and early stage companies in that and. I feel like that was that was a really pivotal moment, just like spending time within those startup environments and the digital tech scene was was booming and, you know, being inspired by General Assembly and people like Alex, what's his name, Alexis Ohanian from, you know, GitHub, like we were very, you're, you're like engaging and interacting with all of these, these founders before their companies were anything and you're just seeing kind of like the passion for what they were building and the excitement around it. And knowing, you know, you coming from private equity where obviously the pay and the this and the that is there, but then just just feeling this like energy of, oh, creating your own thing and your own destiny and the passion that pe- the entrepreneurs had around their products and their projects. Yeah, I think that was a huge one for me. We got to work on some really cool early stage brands at a digital development firm. I ended up working at like Bonobos and Food 52 and the whole curved eater racked media line. Just, yeah, the, the, the founder stories from that, I think were huge inspiration. That was probably the, the big moment that was, yeah, made me kind of click that I wanted to be able to build something like that or build something on my own. So I know the Veneta project was, um, that's basically what I think you were working on when we met. What were some of the, you know, that's one of the companies that you had and ran for what, nine plus years. I'd love to hear, you know, what your kind of how you started that first business, or I think you also had a a business before that called Every, right? So kind of walk us through your couple steps into entrepreneurship and the other businesses that you've started. Yeah. So I, yeah, so I, I left working at private equity and ended up moving and working in a digital development firm where we were launching a lot of concepts for people. And it was kind of a, yeah, a little accelerator model where, you know, we build the software and the tech and, and launch it and see what happens. And it was just out of that, I started to develop my, some of my own ideas conceptually and, and pitching those and meeting with a ton of other founders. And I think the 
yeah, the immediate thing for me was coming out of private equity, which was an extremely male dominant, like wealthy male dominated deal space going into venture capital or going into startups, thinking it would be a bit more democratized and um, that there'd be availability to resources and capital for women. But like it was starkingly obvious that there's still a massive misdistribution of <laughs> investment and and wealth to male entrepreneurs and so i think i was really kind of shocked by that seeing that in the digital space and yeah so after after being in in that kind of digital development world for a while i became really passionate about supporting women entrepreneurs in accessing the capital resources networks yeah, pe- people that they needed to to succeed. So I launched a kind of digital accelerator, I guess I would call it, that supported um, high growth venture backable companies with female with female founders in accessing yeah all of those resources. So that's def- that's where I spent kind of set my seven years prior to launching Arbor, learning about fundraising, making making my own investments and um, helping these early stage founders grow um, and scale. So yeah, that's <laughs> that that was a big a big passion of mine and continues to be for sure. I remember I went to one of the Veneta project pitch events. I remember I think it was in Santa Monica or somewhere in LA and there was some female founders pitching some amazing ideas and companies and you always brought together such a great community for those events. Yeah, it was really fun. It's it it takes a lot of work to find good deal flow and in particular in the female founder space because they're so used to just kind of hungering down and doing it on their own. So it was really refreshing to create a community where all of these unbelievable founders could showcase their ideas, network with other women investors and and male investors and just really start to get their brands and their companies and their concepts out there. And yeah, Veneta was particularly good at attracting a very high, high quality and caliber of an investor and entrepreneur, which I think, yeah, speaks to the need for for those communities to exist, but also that when you build something, they will come and and there is a, such a great high caliber of women entrepreneur out there that yeah needs to be supported and and uplifted and and we yeah we built one of the largest networks across North America actually in terms of our deal flow and launched a number of different events and programs with investment groups corporate partners acquirers and just really started to have a, a great impact on uh, yeah the the access to capital and all of the the needs that women founders have What's happening with the Veneta project now? And how did you come up with the idea for Arbor? Yeah, so Veneta project has unfortunately kind of simmered down to the wayside. We are in talks with a couple of groups about acquiring it in terms of the community and keeping it alive um, as the, you know, the events, the community and the platform itself is extremely productive for all that engage in it. And I still get emails today from people I've met there that are, you know, thankful and updating me on where they've progressed to and everything that's kind of resulted out of the, yeah, the network they developed or access that they got from Bonetta, which is amazing. But yeah, capacity wise, I kind of, I took those seven years learning about the ecosystem and, and kind of exploring what I wanted my next uh, company to be. And so Bonetta, 
I wish it could still be in a fully functioning place, but Arbor is my new, my new child that I'm fully focused on. (laughs) Yeah. And so how did you, how did the idea come about for Arbor where you're like, oh my gosh, there's something here. Yeah. It honestly took me, took me years to figure out what I wanted to do next. I think after when you see so many deals to a year, you're looking at thousands of different companies and analyzing the market opportunity, the, the team, the, the technology, and you see so many of the same idea with like minor tweaks to it. It gets, it's, yeah, it's kind of (laughs) disheartening to try and figure out what the next thing could be for, for you as you're looking for green space. So I actually started consulting with a ton of, or Veneta brought on a number of these Fortune 500 kind of innovation arms or corporate and acquisition and, and studio arms that we were deal scouting for as well. So I got to learn the ins and outs of what, you know, JP Morgan Chase is looking for in the security and finance sector and what Capital One is looking for in the credit card and uh, cyber sector and what Procter & Gamble is looking for in the consumables good sector. So it was really it was really great being able to engage with all these companies and see what they think, where they think the next billion dollar opportunity exists and where the white space exists. And I kind of use that to my advantage. So um, having that knowledge of of where these these massive global players wanted to go and then partnered with my scouting for them really kind of helped me narrow in on this next concept. And it was, it was actually fascinating. I was looking for companies within kind of this non-toxic lawn and garden space. And I could not for the life of me find anything. Like I couldn't find technology that was interesting. I couldn't find brand that was interesting. I couldn't find non-greenwashed products. Um, so it, yeah, it really, it really dawned on me. Wow. This, you, this, is this, that never happens. You never see a category that doesn't have a number of other competitors already in it. There's obviously a strong legacy brand domination in this, in this category, but yeah, it's very, it's very rare to find that. So got extremely excited about that, about that side of things. And then as a consumer myself, I mean, I had moved from New York to LA at that point and we had, you know, bought our first house and I was getting back into gardening and planting my raised vegetable beds and getting my ornamentals together and, and having my first kid. And it was fascinating because, you know, this journey that I, that I took as a consumer inside my home with non-toxic and organic and sustainable products that, you know, I eat or I use on my baby or our laundry or our cleaning routines, you go to the plant care aisle and it's just, it's horrid. It's stocked with nasty chemicals, synthetics that are quite literally causing cancer and or organics that just are, everyone's kind of remarketing and repurposing the same ingredients. And and there's a ton of greenwashing. There's a ton of the use of the word naturals. There's products like urea and I don't know, pyrethrins and uh, all of these organic certified ingredients that are either unsustainably mined or when misused are harmful to pollinators and soil health and waterways. So the interest, the, yeah, the industry is a, a bit of a mess and I couldn't find anything as a consumer either that I really identified with. And the new millennial mom is the consumer for for Arbor products. It's it's kind of this 
this female audience that really values the products that they put on them, in them, and around them now. And Arbor is the, yeah, kind of the essence of where we think or where I think the plant care industry needs to go to. And um, knowing that there's a massive white space there from a lot of the work that I was doing in the kind of scouting and um, Fortune 500 space too. That's awesome. And so once once an entrepreneur kind of identifies a white space and sees that relation between their own personal life and their passion, and it all kind of connects on the idea front, what are some of the things that you did to validate the concept and um, the first couple steps you took to get things going? Yeah. Now, I don't have a background in you know, horticulture or <laughs> entomology. And I really wanted this product to be technical and like advantageous via the, the innovation itself. I mean, I think there's a lot of food and beverage companies and even skincare or companies that do use a ton of the same ingredients and don't have kind of that depth of innovation. So it was really important to me. And I started to look to the agricultural industry for that and understanding what was going on there and how, you know, how farmers were were dealing with crop issues and yield and disease control and pest control. And is there anything that can be learned from that side of the spectrum that maybe hasn't hit the consumer shelves yet? And I actually came across this woman, Dr. Pam Marone, who is unbelievable. So yeah, where I lack completely in knowledge, she is a you know PhD entomologist, three-time founder of biological tech company, three-time IPO of biological tech companies, um, real world like world-class expert and leader in this area of science called biologicals, which I started to just totally nerd out on and and decided, oh, this is the technology that I want to be able to leverage or the, or the R&D process that I want to be able to leverage. And so I ended up teaming up with Pam to, uh, yeah, kind of validate that these products would work for the consumer market, that there is a demand for them doing kind of a competitive set against what we could formulate that would be just as efficacious and, but more safe than what is currently on the on the home in the home and garden market. So yeah, it was a bit of finding that expertise, finding finding Pam, my my fairy godmother, and then working through the product lines and kind of like validating that against competitive sets and then validating that with efficacy data, toxicity data, and some like robust studies in terms of what how our products stood up to to what was in the market. We already knew no brand existed there that we felt was servicing the customer. So I think I really started by honing in on on the technology that could be some of the top in in the field and that would that would both work and and be some of the safest. That's amazing. And so what about fundraising? Did you at what point did you decide to start raising capital from angel investors and, you know, kind of what has the fundraising journey look like? Yeah, that's what's interesting about being in consumer goods versus technology. I think, you know, consumer there comes a point where yeah, you just need capital to get things moving. It's not like a software company where you can build the MVP and try and test and then scale. Yeah, you really do. You need to buy the inventory and you need to 
build up the the ops team and and everything else. So I yeah I fundraised pretty pretty early on. I, I did a pre seed round that allowed me to get to launch and. It really helped me to invest in building the brand, attracting a really great early and small team that just got a lot done, allowing us to build up the inventory that we needed to do kind of our trial runs across the different channels that we wanted to distribute to. And uh, yeah, just get like a good baseline and footprint to to the for the brand and, and for the distribution. So yeah, that was super important for me to kind of raise that up front. And I think all my experience in venture and, and building those types of networks for female entrepreneurs definitely was helpful in that. But yeah, you always need to find your champions though still when you're pre-launch. And so yeah, fundraising is never an easy journey, but yeah, it, it definitely helps when you've got a unique storyline product and yeah, something that you can bring to the market that that no one really has done. So disrupting a new space. Yeah. And with retail, how has that been? Because you guys are in what, almost every Walmart now? Yeah. So we tackled retail pretty early on. I think it was really important for us to have that omni-channel approach with the gate. I think we, you know, we, we talk about ourselves as a digital first brand, but not digital only. And I think a lot of brands these days launch this e-commerce strategy and really spend on advertising and paid and content and, and bills from there. But I, our, our products, 90, 90 to 95% of them still are purchased in a retail environment. And I kind of knew that out the gate. So we really focused strategically on building out a solid supply chain and ops team and logistics and procurement network that would allow us to scale up very quickly and and allowed me to confidently go into kind of line reviews and buyer meetings with mass retailers knowing that we would be able to fulfill and service a, a big program and so that's what we pitched we pitched um some pretty big programs to a number of retailers and Walmart was just the, yeah, the perfect fit. And they are, yeah, they're, they're a majorly supportive company bringing in new brands and working with the buyer is a very kind of collaborative process and, and building the whole kind of, yeah, partnership and program together was super, super fun. And we were only, I don't even know, four, four months old when they started looking at us. And so we ended up locking in a program in, that launched this year in about yeah 24 to 2700 stores depending on the SKU and continuing to yeah to build the brand with them and get Arbor out there to the masses because I think our product we have a, a beautiful elevated approach to design and definitely have extreme quality product but I do want I want it accessible across the country for sure because it can really help people grow a better world. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. When was the last time you looked in your spice drawer? If you're like me, you probably have to look at it every time you cook, which is a lot. And it looks like a complete disaster. Different size seasonings, different brands. It's a mess and totally uninspiring. That's until I discovered Evermill, the most beautiful and inspiring spice rack I've ever seen. And it looks gorgeous both on your countertop for everyone to see and compliment, or it looks great in your spice drawer too. Not to mention, they send you refills and compostable packets that you can get to 
delivered straight to your door simply by sending a text message. So if you're looking for an amazing gift idea, you have to check it out. They also just released two new products, a white marble salt well and an aluminum pepper mill, perfect for the person who you think has everything. You can get 15% off by using the promo code stairway15 on evermill.com. That's 15% off site-wide for the first time ever using the code stairway15 at evermill.com. Do you struggle to find time to go to the gym or even just work out at home somehow? What about the ugly weights you're probably hiding in your closet or under your bed? Out of sight, out of mind. Am I right? Meet Equipped, a female-founded luxury fitness brand with a no-pressure approach to movement that creates gorgeous weights that look so good, you can place their U-shaped weight called the U-bar on your coffee table and your friends will probably think it's a new art piece. Or if you're on the go, just throw on their U-wrap super stylish vegan leather ankle weights so that you can get a little workout in while running your errands in style. Featured in everything from Vogue to the Financial Times, Equipped makes it easier to move through life. And if you're looking for a great gift idea this holiday season, you can get 20% off on EquippedMovement.com using the promo code STAIRWAY20. That's 20% off luxury fitness equipment using the code STAIRWAY20 on EquippedMovement.com. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. The packaging is really beautiful. The logo is beautiful. I mean, I'm a sucker for like great branding in general. I feel like no one's on the show unless they have great branding and packaging. <laughs> it's like one of the prerequisites. So in the color palette, it's really, really beautiful. I think you have, what, four different types. Can you go into the product a little bit and tell us the different types of bottles here that you have online? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got four different SKUs. So two of them are kind of nutrition and health SKUs. Our plant food is like a classic nutrient that is actually made from recycled grocery store food waste, which is really awesome because we're upcycling all of these nutrients and natural NPK that would have normally not been put back into the the soil and into into the the planet. So it's an amazing kind of how does that how does that work? How do you get the grocery store waste? Do you have someone like going around picking it up or is like how does that work? Yeah, we have a partnership with our manufacturer that sources that from select kind of retailers and builds those relationships. And then we have a formulation and manufacturing a process that allows for us to kind of gather all the nutrients for that, mix in a couple of our own stabilizers and kind of some scents and other and other aspects. And then, yeah, you've got kind of a liquid compost in a bottle, which is pretty powerful stuff. That's awesome. Okay. So that was one of them, right? And then you have yeah. three others. And then we've got, yeah, our green bottle is our bioprotectant. This one's actually a very powerful product. It's a three-in-one disease control, health, and immunity kind of product. This one is going to help you get increased yield. So you're going to get more tomatoes or more blooms or more leaves, and it'll just help with the plants year over year as well. So just strengthening them from the inside out. It actually physically has the same impact on a plant as 
an immunity booster that you would take personally. So we really think of all of our products kind of as vitamins and preventative care because it's similar to taking your vitamins and and juicing and doing all of the healthy things that you do. You can actually support plants in boosting their immunity and growing stronger and therefore they can defend against diseases and pests and the rest of it. So that's the concept with our bio our bioprotectant which yeah you can use all year around and then we have two pesticides they would they would fall under so we have an insecticide and a fungicide which means the insecticide is going to help with any kind of bug or pest or insect that is eating your plant or chewing your plant or buzzing around your plant which it, doesn't that happen a lot it actually i feel like happens a lot I, f- I feel like i had this beautiful rosemary bush and the poor thing it was beautiful one day and like the next day something happened to it it was like the first time <laughs> i realized like some like it died and it was so beautiful we used to get rosemary would put it out and you know use it in our food and then it was just gone and the poor thing just got like you know, eaten alive by something or, or something. I don't oh, know. No. I don't know anything well, about Lee, this. Why don't like, we not eat some Arbor yet? Well, yeah, I'm gonna, <laughs> if I ever get a new roseberry bush, which I want again, I'm going to have to get some Arbor because I had no idea. I thought they were fine. I was like, ah, plants, you know, they're fine by themselves. But tell me more about like that they basically get sick or that they have their, that things eat them or like, what are the things that happen to your, that can happen to your, um, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it starts with like your, yeah, getting, getting good plants to start with. So a lot of the plants that you end up buying in a store, whether it be seeds or whether it be seedlings, maybe if you're buying them at a low tail retailer, don't necessarily come with good soil or they already come kind of infested and it just takes it a while to kind of come out and get the plant. But then they're also, if they're not taken care of properly and they aren't strong and their immunity isn't built, then yeah, they're definitely more susceptible to like hundreds of different pests, hundreds of different diseases, hundreds of different root rots and other things that can occur. So it really, it's similar, very, very similar to humans, you know, and what we're, what we're susceptible to when our immune system is down or what we're susceptible to, because we haven't, you know, got, I don't know, built up, built up that strength, but this is the whole part kind of concept with our plant wellness journey is like, how can we give plants their, their wellness journey as well, because they're healthier and happier and their immunities boost and they're not going to be as susceptible and our, but our, our insecticide and our fungicide definitely also control problems. So they don't just prevent if you, if you do have, yeah, kind of you want to get ahead of the curve, but yeah, if you do have insect problems, fungus, mold, mildews, then our products are def- are best in class in, in helping with that. And there's nothing worse than planting, you know, a vegetable garden or rosemary or tomatoes or squash and, and seeing it grow from like a seed or seedling to fruiting. And then, yeah, it's just covered in mildew or aphids or something. And you put so much work into supporting this little <laughs> this little plant's life. So that's what we're here for. We want you to be able to get the, get the most out of your plants and keep them happy. (laughs) It's crazy, right? I mean, my little rosemary bush was in its own little pot. I'm like, what can happen? You know, it's protected in its little (laughs) pot. I don't have a yard. It's like, it's in its own little thing. Nothing can happen, but it must've been some kind of bug or insect or something yeah, well, insects and like molds, mildews and stuff are spores that like float in the air. And then bugs, of course, can just jump from different plants or from outside or from, yeah, numerous different kind of areas. So 
you gotta you gotta see yeah they they need some the plants need some love they can't just be left alone we definitely are we're there for that <laughs> yeah who would have thought that's so crazy yeah plants need love too <laughs> they need help <laughs> So tell me about some of the challenges that you've faced in building this brand. What are some of the things that maybe you didn't expect to happen? Maybe some really challenging moments where you're like, oh my gosh, how how can I pull this off? Yeah, I think being a seasonal business has been really interesting and thinking through the balance inventory and cash demands for that because we really buy in, you know, we, we load up all of our inventory now to set in our major retailers in January. And so we have just a ton of cash demands on us in a very concentrated point of time. And with supply chain and lead times being extended, you know, it's, it's a longer payback time. So as a small company scaling into mass retail and needing to be able to service this huge inventory demand, but not being there yet from the cash flow perspective, that's definitely been one that, you know, keeps you up at night. So being able to negotiate terms, payment terms, and cutting our lead times of supplies down and making sure we're really conscious of holding the right amount of inventory. I think those are all really interesting and challenging things that as a first-time consumer entrepreneur, I, you know, I've I've learned very quickly or needed to learn very quickly. So those those are the ones that keep me up at night for sure. I think building team, of course, is always a huge one. You don't really see how hard it is from the outside when you see all these other companies that have, yeah, these fabulous teams put together, but it takes a long time to find the right fit in a startup environment where you, again, want that expertise, but you're still super early on. So you really want people that love the mission and the vision and that are there for the the startup culture of it all, but you still want that senior seniority. So, and finding people that are jacks of all trades at the startup level is also a very, a very tricky one, you know, because you need someone who's not just coming in as I don't know, head of digital and paid, they need to be able to create the content and manage an influencer and and manage all the medias and onboard all the agencies and negotiate all the contracts and you can't and you know garden and clean up the messes of other things. So finding people that are full stack, so to speak, in every single team member is difficult. And and you're a small and a small team. It's been hard, I think working remote. I think it's it's great and it's allowed for more opportunity to scale teams and find find good talent, but creating culture across remote teams is has been very tricky too. And so I think we're thinking a lot more about that as we continue to grow and finding ways for the team to engage with each other, both, you know, in person and digitally and otherwise, and and allowing that to help us, yeah, attract more team members too. And it's just so time intensive to, to hire. So yeah, I think we're still, we're still on the lookout for a good tool or platform or (laughs) expedited way to source and find great team members. But I'm so, I'm so happy with the team that we have brought together. They're some of the best, but yeah, it takes, it takes a while. So thinking through that has always been, it's always a challenge for sure too. 
So you're saying it's kind of hard to find talent. Is that what you're saying? You're saying, I wish there was a platform out there that would do something to help you, I guess, source this type of talent. Is that because, I mean, how does it typically work now? Are you guys just kind of posting a job on LinkedIn or other places and either you're like filtering through all these applications? Is that where the pain point is? Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, the standard tools that you can use for recruitment right now, or else you can pay a recruiting recruiting firm a ridiculous fee to hire. And I think that, yeah, I think there still needs to be major strides made within the recruitment space. And I think like leveraging our investor networks and leveraging just our founder networks is and word of mouth is always a great way to get quality leads. But but yeah, I, I do think there's a huge opportunity to fill this recruitment gap. And I think it's been in particularly difficult as so many people now move into this freelance kind of mindset and world, because I, I know, you know, we work with a ton of freelancers and we work with a ton of agencies here and there, but the turnover again is so high in those because you don't have people that are just full on dedicated to your brand and dedicate your vision and dedicated to testing and experimentation and learning and knowing your brand and company inside and out. That's the that's the problem with the kind of freelancer or agency or outsourced model. And so, yeah, there's this fine balance of, of yeah, obviously hiring and bringing people in full-time is, is extremely strenuous too, but like, I don't know. I feel like someone needs to crack the code of, of what is a good balance. Uh, have people be full-time and engaged and engaged in your company, but still yeah there's so many people that want the freelance sort of feeling these days that uh and working on a ton of different brands and companies but it's it's hard to get the quality when you when you're working at that with with those types of people and what about higher level stuff like i know that there's been a trend with contract cfos contract cmos fractional cmos right like it's kind of in the same realm on the more executive team level have you explored any of that type of work where it's more of like a strategic consulting type of um, fractional CMO, CFO type thing? Yeah, we've mostly used kind of firms to do that to date or or investors kind of leverage our investors. I'm definitely starting to look into it more, but as a smaller brand, yeah, you really don't want to be too top heavy from a resource planning cost wise. And or from it just getting things done. I think there's, you know, there's there's contractors and then there's consultants. And I, I feel like contractors at least are the the doers. I think the consultants you can get tricky with when you're paying the big bucks for a strategy or advice or consulting on this or that. But it still boils down to, okay, great, but who's gonna execute on this strategy? Because that is where the time needs to be spent. So yeah, I, I'm. I, I don't think we're we're there yet. I think we the goal is to get that from our from our advisors and from our investors right now. But yeah, we really, as an early stage company of ten, growing to hopefully fifteen within the next couple of months, we're we're definitely looking for those that are going to jump in and and do like cr- create the concepts and strategy and ideas, but do the work too. And so it's finding that finding that level. Which is really, really tough, right? Because I think that a lot of, yeah, it's really tough to find someone who can kind of 
lead, come up with the strategy and do all the work, which is that like person you need in the early stages to do all, wear all of those hats. That's a, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean, once you get to a certain point in your career, you want to be strategizing and, and at that level, you don't necessarily want to jump back in (laughs) and uh, write the code. Right. So yeah. Right. Or as a brand, you're like paying too much for somebody who knows the strategy to also execute on it. You know, it's like you're, you're paying for the experienced person a lot of money and then they're delivering on the action as well. But then it's like, well, there might be someone who's less experienced who can kind of do both, maybe not lead or have as well of a strategy because they don't have that experience. So you're always kind of like, I feel like compromising on either end. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really tricky balance to find. I think that's why it's so important that if you do take on capital or you do build a strong advisory board that, yeah, you really focus on the core assets that you need out of that or the core skill sets you need out of that. And then like leverage it in a big way, like make sure you're having the quarterly, monthly, weekly meetings or using that expertise because, and I think it's a great way to, to build that because it's, it's hard to be able to afford as an early stage company and, or it's hard to attract the, yeah, the right, the right level. So yeah, I think, I think leveraging the advisory and investor kind of community that, that you have around you for that is something that I need to continue to do better even too. And when you think about like staying positive and keeping going and staying persistent and motivated every day, what's something that you do to reduce stress or keep you focused or, just excited to keep going every day when so many things can change and there's lots of ups and downs. Yeah. I, I don't know. I used to be the highest anxiety person around, around my companies and around the success and, and the trajectory and and worrying about every little thing. I do feel like after moving from, I don't know, New York to LA and spending honest to God more time outside and in the garden and hiking and at the beach and just allowing myself to, to disconnect from it and like reset every couple of weeks or months is so critical to my mental health and to my ability then to kind of keep the team motivated and stay excited and, and yeah, on track. So I don't know. Yeah. Kind of honestly, like making sure you, you check out for an irregular period of time is really, really helpful and has, and has helped me a ton. And then I think there's also this, I don't know, there's this feeling of needing to like, yeah, move fast, move fast, move fast, move fast on everything. But I don't know, thinking longer term has really helped me as well. So rather than, you know, what's, going to happen in the next week or month. Okay. Let's look at our five-year plan and let's build back from there and what we think is achievable and setting kind of, yeah, setting aggressive, but realistic targets that the team can all get behind and then not, yeah, not, not beating ourselves up too badly. If things, you know, out of our control happen, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's <laughs> setting those longer term goals and then and then setting the path towards it and making sure that you kind of check out uh, and and reset every once in a while, I think is really key. Has there ever been any like limiting beliefs that you've had to overcome to get to where you are? I don't know. I think once you find the kind of 
product or mission or passion kind of statement and you believe you like you really believe in the product i've i've been i you know i've sold a lot of things or, or tried to sell in a lot of things in my career or seen people pitching and selling in a lot of things too and i think yeah that that's that's the limiting factor if you really don't truly at the core believe that your product works better is better for the world is it is something that the consumer needs is is yeah go, is good, fulfilling all of your values then i think it's really yeah it's really hard to sell that i and i've been in a position before where i'm trying to sell something that i'm like mm, is that really <laughs> and so i think that's limiting but i i think now that yeah with arbor it's it's uplifting because I so deeply believe in the product we're putting out into the world and in the space and in the market and in the consumer that wants this and needs this. And if they have access to it, then yeah, it's going to be, they're, they're going to love it that, that, yeah, even when something hits us and it's not, it's not great or we're late on this or something happens with sell through with a customer and we're disappointed yeah, I just kind of like ground ourselves in the fact that what our, our core product and our brand and our mission and everything that we're building is needed in the world and wanted in the world. And so, yeah, it keeps us, it keeps us going. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, right? If you feel a hundred percent about what you're selling and it emotionally connects with you and you feel like the world really needs to have this in it, then you come at it from a different perspective than eh, the world could do without. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's limiting selling. Yeah. Selling things that you don't truly, truly, truly deeply believe in. And that's been, yeah, hard in my, in past careers. And that's why I think Arbor is off to the races. Cause I, this is the one, this is, this is needed in the, the world. The one. <laughs> I love that you said that. This is the one. The one. That's awesome. <laughs> I feel like, you know, I myself feel like I'm in search of the one. I love it. <laughs> you know? yeah. That next business that makes me want to wake up in the middle of the night and start working on it, you know? Totally. That you're like so stoked to just work on every day that it doesn't yeah. feel like work. Yeah. Yeah. I just love that feeling 100%. And yeah, as entrepreneurs, you know, we go through so many ideas and so many ups and downs and journey to to finding the one. And I think Arbor, Arbor is it for me. <laughs> That's awesome. And so speaking of Arbor, what's next? What can we expect? What's coming out next? Yeah. So we have a really exciting retail launch that we will be doing next year in a very big way. So that will be coming down the pipeline. Look for us in your, yeah, one of your favorite big box stores soon. And we also are launching a new product line and I will give you a hint. It's all about soil. So helping the customer and the gardener with their their soil, their soil health, their which leads to plant health and planet health, and yeah, getting into digging digging deep into the into the world of soil is what we're what we're up to next. <laughs> digging deep into soil, that's <laughs> awesome. Well. I'm excited to hear which retailer you're launching in. I feel like I know which one it is. And I'm not going to say, but I think I know which one it is for 2023. So that's super exciting. 
congrats on all of your progress. Before we wrap up, do you have any other final advice for, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs tuning in? Maybe they're trying to find the one, maybe they're in the trenches at another company right now, thinking about taking the leap on something. I don't know. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs tuning in? Yeah, I know. That's a great one. Listen to Leah's podcast because she has some amazing yeah, entrepreneurs and founders that are so inspiring on it. I think surrounding yourself with other entrepreneurs is honestly the great, the the best thing that you can do. I love, I loved building Veneta for that reason and having so many founder conversations and engagements and meetings and just throwing ideas back and forth. And yeah, getting yourself involved in those communities is such a fabulous way to continue to test your ideas and bounce ideas off people. So I, I'd say it's not super enlightening, but I think, yeah, Jeff, definitely get engaged in, in, in other founder communities and conversations and everyone, yeah, everyone loves to kind of chat, chat through their own journeys. And I think you'd be surprised even at the caliber of people you can reach out to that will respond to you too, if you want advice or feedback or want to run an idea by someone. So yeah, just continue to build, build your network and get involved in those communities. That's so true. I'm one of those people that goes on LinkedIn and will cold outreach to yeah, a and lot look at, of people. And look at all the unbelievable, yeah, people you've had on your show and that's in your network. True. And that's exactly like, right. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things that people assume is that, oh, no one has time for me. They'll definitely, say, they will say no and they won't or they won't respond. But it's something, yeah, I even learned through Veneta too, you know? People want to help each other and want to be engaged in these conversations and ideas. And yeah, it's totally, it's, it's stimulating for both sides. So I think get out there and do that. (laughs) I mean, I'm personally pretty responsive. If anybody reaches out to me on LinkedIn and they put in the time to write a message about why they want to connect with me on LinkedIn, or if they send a message, I normally always respond. Totally. You know, it's like, there's. I appreciate that because I'm the person that does that all the time to other people. Yeah. And tell them your why. I think that's another good one too, though. I think that the biggest thing is a in a cold outreach or trying to build network is just hey I'd love to network like this the stock LinkedIn LinkedIn response is no good yeah it has to be why what minutes of your time because this is this is why people love that too because then they're oh I get it and I can help with that and people like to be helpful and they like to understand how they can be very specific on how that person can be helpful and and get that ask in there for what you want. Cause totally. you're right. I will. I never really accept a connection to someone on LinkedIn that I don't know who has said in their little, you know, personal note when they press connect and it says something really bland, like, Oh, I thought we should connect because of our mutual interests or yeah. I'm like, no, I don't care. What does that mean? Yeah. I don't care. yeah. Why, how is this? Yeah. How is this going to be? And people, I think there's like an intimidation around like, Oh, I don't want to ask for something, but it actually has the opposite effect because then I don't know how I can help you. I don't know what, whether this, like how this time will be spent. And so, so yeah, get your, get your asks out there and yeah, start networking and get your asks out there right at the beginning. And you're, and you're kind of why. And I, I think that's like a great, yeah, it's a great experience as an entrepreneur to, to, to be able to tap into networks and build networks and ask the right questions and get the right answers. 
So yeah, I think that's a, that's a good one. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Vanessa, thank you so much for joining the show. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much for joining us. Definitely. Thanks so much for having me, Lee. This is so much fun. And I love what you're building here with this podcast. There's just unbelievable information and, and founders and stories here. So congrats on this platform that you've launched. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review, and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.